Hey, this is Travis Bennett, the pastor here at Arena of Life Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I pray this builds your faith, encourages you, and brings you to newer levels in Christ. Enjoy the message. Well, I was asked when this will finish, and uh, who knows, Jesus might come back in the time I do. All right. I would say open your Bible, but uh, not quite yet. No, actually, open them to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. We'll go there. Uh, But first, I'll pray, and then we'll get going. Lord, we thank you for this time together tonight. Uh, Lord, I just, what a blessing, all these people that want to um, jump into your word and know more uh, of you. And, and God, I just pray that tonight that uh, the word, we look into the mirror, and Lord, if there's places in our life, God, that need to be cut out, I pray, God, that uh, uh, you give us wisdom on how to do that. And so, Lord, I just pray that uh, you would there would be a move of your spirit in this place tonight as we hunger after righteousness. And I just pray, God, that uh, I, I just lift up people in the room that may not be feeling good. I speak the healing power of God to go into operation. From the top of their head to the soles of the tips of their toes, that the healing, uh, uh, the blood of Jesus covers them and heals them. Lord, I just uh, pray for those that maybe have gotten a bad report. Lord, I just pray that there's faith in the room and uh, to believe, God, that you are the God of impossibility. And so we rely on you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're starting a brand new uh, topic tonight, talking about the life of Paul. And tonight we're going to talk about who is Paul. Um, and so Acts chapter 9, when I got here, I had to go hug Pastor Robert because uh, I had forgot how much time goes in to Bible school. So give Pastor Robert a hand for the last couple of months. Thank God for Pastor Robert. But um, uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of I'm going to try to do this a little bit differently uh, normally, I write this out and kind of read this because I am not a teacher. If you've been on a Sunday morning, preaching definitely comes more natural to me and not teaching. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm believing that I'm cultivating the gift, another gift that Jesus has given us. Amen. So in Acts chapter 9 and verse 1, this is a famous passage of text that we all know. But it says this, then Saul... Acts chapter 9, verse 1, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Listen, we're going to talk about all of these things of what he was doing during this time. Then he fell to the ground. And he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And that's something. He knows who he is, but he says, who are you? (laughs) Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. 
He's fasting. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for the one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. I've always found this fascinating here that Jesus comes. I'm going to continue on verse 16 in a minute. But I've always found this fascinating that Jesus appears to Paul or Saul at this particular time, in a vision. And he says, I want you to go. He loses his sight. And he says, I want you to go to a street called Straight. That's where we see the south, where you will receive the salvation of the Lord. And it's something that Jesus doesn't save him, but he sends him to a man. I know I've said this many times before, but God uses men and women. Are you hearing me? He could have done it himself, but he sent him there. He says, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. They didn't didn't, uh, uh, play around. They went straight for the good stuff. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Isn't it awesome that in verse 20, after he received the Lord, immediately, everybody say immediately, Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Isn't that something I wish everybody could get a hold of that when they come down to this altar call and gave their life to the Lord, that immediately they went out to their family, their friends, and told them about the saving power of Jesus Christ. Uh, But uh, I want to talk about the surprising call of God. You know, there's some men in Scripture. One in particular that I'm thinking of is the life of Abraham. Abraham was called out of a life of serving pagan gods, but called him, and he told him, he said, I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. He sent him up on the mountain there and said, all of this land will be yours. But he called him out, what Peter says, out of a place of darkness into the marvelous light. And my goal to you uh, through all of this, uh, I, one thing that it's going to do as you look at the life of Paul, uh, it's... It's going to open your eyes so much like all the all the scriptures that we love in, in the ones that he wrote about the story of grace. We first got to understand who this man was because it is such a story of redemption. How many of y'all know we serve a God that redeems? Redemption means to buy us back. He was sanctified. Uh, he lived a righteous life. There's all kinds of commentary out there. You know, he never married. People think he was gay and all kinds of stupid stuff like that. We're going to skip all of those things if that's okay. But uh, if, if, you don't, if you don't pay attention 
And if you've never studied this before, it's going to open your eyes and it's going to make the, uh, the Corinthians so much more richer to you. It's going to make the book of Romans. How many of y'all thankful for the book of Romans? Oh, my gosh. I mean, that is like uh, the Magna Carta of the Christian life. I, I read that somewhere one time, and that's exactly what it is. Is The Roman road experiences, that's what we share with people uh, to receive Christ. And so uh, this is a man that was totally called out of darkness into God's glorious light. Before we get started, I want to read to you a quote from, uh, it's, a good, it's a great book by Chuck Swindoll. It's called Paul, a Man of Grace and Grit. But it says the Apostle Paul, and this will kind of give you an understanding of where we're going to be going in our discussion. And tonight I'm just laying the, you know, laying the groundwork of where we're going to go. But it says the Apostle Paul, and, and do you all have it on your page? Okay, it's so good, I wanted you to have it. But it says, the converted terrorist, inspired author... Amazing teacher and patient mentor. This colossal figure strode boldly onto the stage of the first century world and left an indelible signature of greatness never to be forgotten. His life, magnificent, and his ministry, impressive. While assigned sainthood by some today, by his own descriptions, he was the chief of all sinners. That's what he called himself. No other person in the Bible aside from Christ himself had a more profound influence on his world and ours other than Paul. He was a man of real grit with the firmness of mind and spirit and unyielding courage in the face of personal hardship and danger. Tough, tenacious, and fiercely relentless. Paul pursued his divine mission with un unflinching resolve and God used him mightily to turn the world upside down for Christ in his generation. But Paul's message and his style were also marked by grace. This man who tormented and killed the saints of God understood and explained grace better than any of his contemporaries. Why? Because he never got over his own gratitude as a recipient of it. God's superabounding grace transformed this once violent aggressor into a humble but powerful spokesman for Christ. A man with that much grit desperately needed that much grace. Perhaps that's why Paul's life is such a source of hope for us. If the chief of sinners can be forgiven and become God's chosen vessel, can he not forgive and use us as well? He can if we too become people of both grace and grit. Isn't that good? But I want to see a show of hands tonight. How many of y'all have been transformed by the ministry of Paul? How many of y'all been blessed by the ministry of Paul? I know I have. Uh, in fact, those of you that get on Facebook in the mornings, I'm going on how many weeks in the book of Ephesians? I can't seem to get out of it. And uh, I don't know, from there we might go to the book of Philippians. Philippians is just as good, and Galatians and Colossians. But I wrote down some uh, scriptures here. If you didn't raise your hand, you will raise your hand. When you see Romans 3.23, where he wrote, and now I, I, wanna, I say he wrote, but he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But then it goes on to say in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Aren't you thankful for scriptures like Romans 5, 8? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I wrote down, I'm not going to read all of them. Ah, oh, who cares? We're at Bible school, I'll read all of them. 
Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Isn't that a good one? I mean, that's a fridge hanger right there. Uh, Romans 10, 9. We, we, um, the prayer that sinners prayer. That if we confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How about Romans 12, 1 and 2? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How about the letters to the Corinthians? Or letters uh, uh, to the Christians as well. I don't know why I put Christians, but I meant Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. How many of y'all know the message of the cross? Romans 1.16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. How many of y'all know there is power in the resurrected work of, of, of Jesus and the message of the cross? 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? 1 Corinthians 12. Do I got any charismatics in the room? How many of y'all thankful for the gifts of the Holy Spirit? All right. Where you at? We're all thankful for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. All right. I, I didn't have all those down, but uh, I was... I was flipping through my Bible is what I was doing, and I could barely read some of my notes on 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But if I could read some of them, I'd share them with you. But uh, sometimes I can't even read my own writing. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 13. Where you all at? Come on. Aren't you thankful for 1 Corinthians 13? We ought to have that in our, in, in our house. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Then, and then in verse 4, um, it goes on to say, Though love suffers long and is kind, does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, does not provoke, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Aren't y'all thankful Paul got saved or Saul got saved? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, everything has become brand new. Amen. Ooh, Siri's even trying to talk to me right now. Oh, you're sorry? Well, me too. I don't know why you're talking to me. But Siri got a witness on 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.20. 21, so good, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Y'all thankful for that, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 1, 2, grace to you and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, uh, do not, this is one we share with our children, 2 Corinthians six fourteen, and I'm going to share with you as parents. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Woo! We're just getting warmed up. Now we get to the prison epistles. 
Isn't it amazing? Doesn't it just break it open so much more when you read these books that he's writing, he's pinning this through the power of the Holy Spirit being locked up. I didn't even go to Galatians 1, 2, 3, and 4, even though they're good, but Galatians chapter 5 should blow our mind, right? Where it says, Galatians 5, 22, where it gives us the fruits of the Spirit. Come on, let's hear it. We got love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. All right. Galatians 5, 16, it says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5.1, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now we get to Ephesians. Now, I didn't know where to even begin, but I wrote a few down. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Ephesians 4.11, he himself gave some to, to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Aren't you thankful for all the gifts that Jesus gives? And Paul's the one who points them out to us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and you made him, and you, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Aren't you thankful we've been made alive? Bible says we were like dead men walking, but when Christ came on the inside of us, there was resurrection power. Ephesians 6.10, we're about to get there in our morning studies, but finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I didn't even talk about we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers over darkness, wickedness, and high places. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Uh, Philippians 4, 6 through 7, be anxious for nothing but in everything. By prayer and supplication, make your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. See, many of us, we may just know these scriptures, but we don't realize. I see I'm setting something up here of the life-changing power uh, of what happened in, uh, when, when Paul was introduced to Jesus. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether th- thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Colossians 3, 1, 1 and 12. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and suffering. How about the pastors that he, uh, pastoral letters full of wisdom that he, that he penned. I didn't even go to do Thessalonians, but uh, Timothy, 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. How many of y'all know he heard from God to write that down? Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared as with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received in thanksgiving to those who believe and know the truth. If you were here during the time of me talking about the second coming of Christ, we talked about that. In 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. How many of y'all know we need to continually every day stir up the gift that God has given us? Verse 7 is a biggie. For God has not given you a spirit of fear but of power and of love 
and of a sound mind. How many of y'all know God has given us power? I'll give you a reminder. He's given you power in the name of Jesus. Every knee must bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. Do you believe we're there today? Yeah. Traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, now this is where I want to pick up. How many of y'all know? And so I just wanted to point those particular texts out to you. Of, of some things that you're like, well, I really don't know anything about Paul. Um, but I'm telling you, each and every one of us have been influenced by the writings that he wrote through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I believe this, the greater the life, uh, sometimes the more there's, there's something shocking on the other side. How many of y'all know lives sometimes are full of surprises? And the events... This is where I'm going in these first couple ones, that the events that led up to his calling. How many of y'all know you, in order to have a testimony, you got to be tested, right? And uh, some of the greatest men of God went through some things. And as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of the story of Abraham Lincoln. And if you don't know anything about the history of Abraham Lincoln, there's a great book, um, not Joey Holland, but it's called The Life of Abraham Lincoln. And in it, I, I used this before one time when I was preaching to youth. But how many of y'all know, like when we look at Abraham Lincoln, we think of him as a great president. Do we not? He was the 16th president of the United States. Uh, he was the one who made the Homestead Act. The Homestead Act uh, made it possible for um, poor folks to be able to uh, acquire land allowing poor people to obtain property, basically. Uh, he, just, he started the Department of Agriculture, and everybody in Amarillo, Texas said a good amen, all right? Uh, he wrote the Emancipation Proclamation, which abolished slavery. He was a leader through the Civil War. Uh, he started, uh, it may not be the same banking system that we have today, but he kind of got the ball rolling on the banking system. Also, too, uh, he's known for his Gettysburg Address, and uh, he was a man of influence. But the backstory of him, so you would think that he was raised in that, but he wasn't your typical politician, and that's probably why we like him. Right? We tend to like the ones that aren't your typical politicians coming into that. Like somebody who hasn't been in Congress for 40 years and then weasels his way in there and doesn't know how to talk. But... Come on. But my whole, my whole point is this. A lot of you are getting revelation in the room right now before I even get going. <laughs> right, Gabe? <laughs> but uh, his start was not rom romantic by no stretch of the imagination. Did you know this about Abraham Lincoln? He was born in 1809 in a log cabin in a small town in Hardin County, Kentucky. 
uh, his father, he, he had, there were several kids in his family, but his father was completely Ill- illiterate, did not know how to read or write, had a hard time keeping a job, and his mother was real sick and frail. At the age of seven, they were forced out of their home, and by the age of nine, his mother uh, died. He had no former formal uh, schooling whatsoever. These are all things that after in his adolescent years and even in the high school years uh, during the times of a teenager, he had to learn from friends even how to read or write. Uh, So he attempted a career in 1831 and he failed. In 1832, he ran for state legislature and he lost. He was always, he always wanted to make an impact, but he, um, and so uh, he, he ran for several different things, as you're going to see right here. Also in 1832, he lost his job and applied to law school, but was laughed at because he was not qualified. He started another business that he borrowed some money from a friend of his, and it failed. So he claimed bankruptcy and spent 17 years paying off his debt. In 1835, he fell in love with a lady by the name of Aunt Anne Rutledge, and she died right after several days after they got engaged. So he spent six months in bed with a nervous breakdown. In 1838, Abraham Lincoln sought to become a speaker of the state legislature, and he was defeated. In 1840, he sought to become the elector of the state, and he was defeated. In 1843, he ran for Congress, and he lost. In 1846, he ran again for Congress, and he won. But in 1848, when he tried to get reelected, he was defeated. In 1849, he sought the job of a land officer in his home state, but was rejected. In 1854, he ran for Senate and lost. In 1856, he sought vice presidential nomination at his party's national convention, and he got less than 100 votes. In 1858, he ran for the U.S. Senate and lost again. And in 1860, he ran for presidency, and he won. Isn't that something? And we look at all the amazing accolades of what he did and all the great things of uh, the accomplishments that, accomplishments that he made. And lots of times we think that he was just born into that. But isn't that amazing? Doesn't that build your faith? Isn't that a story of redemption? Can I tell you, never, ever give up. Never throw in the towel. It ain't over till God says it's over. I would tell you the rest of the story, but it gets sad because then he gets reelected and a few days later he gets shot and killed. But all the amazing things he did in the four years that he was president was awesome. But again, we look at his accolades and we think he must have had a magnificent background, but no, it's a story of redemption. And uh, I don't, I forget where I had gotten this quote, but the steel of greatness is forged in the pit. It's true for every one of us. Don't ever forget that, especially when you're in the pit and you're convinced there's no way anything of value will come come of it. We must not forget that as we study the life of this man, they call Paul. So let's start our study here. Who is Saul or Paul? See, in the beginning, in fact, next week, we're going to go back to Acts chapter 5. And actually, when we first are introduced to the life of This man named Saul. Well, uh, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 5, I think you have that there. It says, circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel. 
This is Paul writing about himself. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. So, who is this Saul? Like his namesake, you got to know this. He is a Hebrew of the Hebrews, and I'm going to talk about who this is and just what a Hebrew of the Hebrews is. But he was named after Israel's first king, Saul. That's how much of a Hebrew that he is. His Greek name is Paul, but at the time, uh, in the studies of where he was as a Pharisee, he wasn't going, he, he wasn't doing anything in the Greek. It was everything in the Hebrew. That's why they called him Saul. So, the eighth day, in, it says, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. Just to tell you who he was as a Hebrew of the Hebrews, the eighth day, uh, Paul was circumcised uh, on a prescribed day. Where do we get that? Genesis chapter 17 and verse 12. This goes back to the book of Genesis of why they would do it on the eighth day. And, and uh, the Lord is speaking to Abraham here, and he said that, and he that is, the, is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generation. He that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed. We also see this here, and the Lord spoke unto Moses, Leviticus 12, chapter 1. Speaking to the children of Israel, saying, If a woman have conceived seed and born a man-child, then she shall be unclean seven days. According to the days of the separation for her infirmity shall be unclean. And in the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Now, I remember when I was speaking in youth, Brandon, you'll remember this too. There was a time I was talking about this and circumcision. And there was a kid from the crowd says, Pastor Travis, what is circumcision? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad he was curious, but I gave him the wrong answer. Now I am filled with the Spirit, and I never say anything wrong from the pulpit. But I said, Google it. And then I went, no, don't Google it. <laughs> Lord have mercy. I didn't see that picture. Okay. But are we all on the same page here? All right. And in, in, here's an example of this in Genesis chapter 21 and verse 4. It says, And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. So they take seven days off after they're born. On the eighth day, they would circumcise him. So this is something that was instilled to him, uh, to the Jews. And I'm just showing you here. He is a Hebrew of Hebrews. He walks the walk and he talks the talks. Are you hearing me tonight? And it says of Israel. So all true, true Jews were directed descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So of Israel. So Paul's Jewish heritage was pure. And uh, we'll get more into that of where he was in Tarsus, of the, the, the little tribe that he was in. But it says this, that he was of the tribe of Benjamin. Well, Benjamin was the second son of Rachel. If you know the story, uh, Jacob has two wives, which I don't encourage to have today. But he has Leah and he has Rachel. You remember Leah, she had Naphtali and Levi and Judah and all these boys. But in, at, uh, in, in Rachel never did conceive to the end of her life. And she had two great ones. She had Joseph and she had Benjamin. And it came to pass as her soul was in departing. This is Ch Genesis chapter 35 and verse 18. Uh, was a parting before she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. And the tribe of Benjamin was one of the elite tribes of Israel, who along with Judah remained loyal to the Davidic dynasty and formed the southern kingdom. 
We read about this in 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 21. And when Rehoboam, if you don't know who Rehoboam is, he's the son of Solomon. He's the king of um, ancient Israel. <clears throat> in his reign, um, he witnessed the secession of the northern tribes and their establishments of uh, a new kingdom under Jeroboam, leaving Rehoboam as the first king of Judah. So he witnessed the secession of the northern tribes to, to, to the southern tribes, and Benjamin was a part of the southern tribe. But it goes on to say, and when Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin, a hundred and fourscore thousand chosen men, which were warriors to fight against the house of Israel to bring the kingdom against Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. The, the scripture here, Philippians 3 and verse 5, it says he was the Hebrew of Hebrews. Now, this is the big part that we all need to grab a hold of tonight if you're going to continue on in this study and really see the direction of where we're going. So Paul was born to Hebrew parents and maintained the Hebrew tradition and language even while living in a pagan city. So they talked a certain way. They had certain rituals that they did. Uh, they only ate at certain times. They, they basically lived the book of Genesis through the book of Deuteronomy. That's all that they did. In fact, we see here uh, in Acts 21 and verse 40, he, it, it says, So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hands to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. In the Hebrew language. So this is a man, he speaks the language. He is, I mean, he is every bit of a Hebrew. In Acts 26, verses 4, it says, My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Rick Renner says this in one of his books. I forget what it is. But he said he was such a Hebrew that um, he's read commentary, or he's, he's wrote some commentary, he's read some commentary, I forget what it was. But when they would wake up as Hebrew children, they would say this, I thank God, they, uh, they would say, I thank God he made us Jews and not Gentiles. They would say it over and over. I thank God he made us Jews and not Gentiles. Now those of you that know the story of the writings of Paul, Aren't you thankful that we as Gentiles now inherit the blessing of everything that the Jews have? That we're blessed too, and highly favored. Aren't you thankful for that? But for him to write a Hebrew to the Hebrews, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm trying to break some, something open here. He hated Gentiles so much. Hated them. As being a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He didn't talk to Gentiles. He didn't look at Gentiles. They didn't live close to Gentiles. They did not trade with Gentiles. They didn't go to places where Gentiles were. And then for him to write the book of Ephesians and talk about how we have inherited the same things as the Jews have. How many of y'all know he got a hold of the saving power that only Jesus can give? Are you seeing this tonight? This is so good. And then it goes on to say... It says, um, a Pharisee. A Pharisee, how many of y'all know anything about Pharisees or Sadducees, all right? How many of y'all know any Pharisees? Let me see. <laughs> all right. Well, well, good. I didn't see very many hands raised. So it says that he's a Pharisee. So he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. 
He's walked the walk, he's talked the talk, but on top of that, he is a Pharisee. A Pharisee is a legalistic, fundamentalist uh, uh, that studies Judaism. Uh, And their zeal was to apply the Old Testament um, scriptures to life led to a complex system of traditions and works righteousness. Remember, it's Paul who said, we're not saved of works, but we're saved by I'm going to say it one more time. You guys need to help me out in Bible school. We are not saved of works, but we are saved by grace. I'm painting a picture for you here. I hope you're getting it, that this was one bad dude with an attitude, and he was extremely rude. The Pharisees um, were a small legalistic sect of the Jews who were known for their rigid adherence to the ceremonial fine points of the law. This is what John Corson says. Their name means separated ones. Jesus usually conflicted with the Pharisees. He rebuked them for using human tradition to nullify Scripture. We see uh, Jesus coming against them in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 1. It says, Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from the Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, and this, uh, think about this. So this is who Jesus is talking to. Um, Paul saying that he's a Pharisee. I want you to think about this. This is the one of the people that he that that he is describing right here. Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, who, who, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God. Then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus, you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites. He calls them hypocrites. Don't you love it? I'd have loved it been there when he said that. Hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you saying... These people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So he rebuked them for using human tradition to nullify Scripture and especially for their hypocrisy. We also see this in Matthew 22, 18. But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Don't you love Jesus? But he said, Woe to you. Matthew 23, 13, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Matthew 23, verse 23 says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. And Matthew 23, 25, and 29 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse in the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. And then there's the Sadducees. Now, he's not a Sadducee, but I want to paint, I want to give you a description. These guys fall in the same category. The Sadducees were known for denying the supernatural, right? If you look across the scriptures there, they, 
anything that was supernatural that Jesus did, they denied it, including the resurrection of the dead and the existence of angels. We see a description of this in Matthew twenty-two, twenty-three. The same day, the Sadducees, who say there is, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him. In Acts twenty-three and verse eight, it says, "For Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both." So, listen to this. I got this from John Corson as well. Unlike the Pharisees, they rejected human traditions, except only. Uh, how do you say this word? Pentateuch. I don't know what it is. but I mean, I know what it is, but I don't know how to say it. But they believe basically only in the scriptures. They only believe from Genesis to Deuteronomy. Well, what is Genesis to Deuteronomy? Law. Right? That's the only parts that they believed. Aren't you thankful? We have been set free from the curse of the law. As authoritative, so they would, the Pentateuch, as authoritative and scorn legalism, they tended to be wealthy, aristocratic members of the priestly tribe, and in the days of Herod, controlled the temple. Uh, though they numbered fewer than the Pharisees, Pharisees and Sadducees had little in common. Pharisees were ritualist. Sadducees were rationalist. Pharisees were legalist. Sadducees were liberals. Pharisees were separatists. Sadducees were compromisers and political opportunities. But yet, they united in this. They both opposed Jesus Christ. And Matthew, so he is a man. He is a Hebrew of Hebrews, and he opposes Jesus Christ. In Matthew twenty-two fifteen, 15, it says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. This is them opposing Christ. Another example of it is found at twenty-two sixteen, And they sent to him their disciples with Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-four, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying. So they always united in this, testing against anything that Jesus taught. John publicly addressed them as deadly snakes. Were y'all here a couple weeks ago when I talked about receiving the message of John the Baptist? When these guys walked out there 20 miles, he said, you brood of vipers. Um, so Paul may have come from a line of, uh, he, he comes from a line of Pharisees. We, we see this in Scripture in Acts 22 and verse 3. He said, I am indeed a, indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in the city of the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel, uh, taught according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous towards God as you are all today. In Acts 23 and verse 6, it says, But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other's Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. In Acts 26, 5, it says, They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest, strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. So, who is this Saul Paul? He is one bad dude. I said it a while ago. 
with an attitude, and he was extremely rude. Him being circumcised on the eighth day makes him a Jew of Jews. He was, a, as he says, a Hebrew of Hebrew. He was a Pharisee. He was not unified with Christ, and him studying under Gamaliel. In fact, well, um, or however you say his name, uh, him studying under him, that, that breaks it open so much more. But next week, I know this is, I didn't know how much to give you guys. Did you guys learn anything already tonight? I hope you did. But it breaks it open so much of uh, the testimony of where he came from, just like Abraham Lincoln. Isn't that something? It, it, makes, it, it makes it so much richer when you read through 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Romans, book of Galatians, book of Ephesians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, when you read through Timothy, when you read through those, it's going to make it so much richer of how God brought him literally, pulled him out of the miry clay and set him on the rock to stand. And you know what that ought to do for you? I don't care. You might know somebody that you work with or a family member, and you think there is no way he is way too far gone. I'm telling you, the story gets bloody where we pick up next week because he was a man that killed every Christian he came in contact with. In fact, you see it in the very beginning there. He goes to the council and says, let me have every single one of them that believe in Christ. He was going after. He was something that was so deadly. But isn't it so amazing? I want, I want you to just grab a hold of this inside of your, your, you know, uh, your faith target down on the inside of you. You might know somebody that they're caught up in drugs. They're caught up in addiction. They're caught up in a life that's so messed up, so twisted, so jangled. That's the way that they were raised. That's, that's all they knew growing up, just like him. This is all he ever knew. But Jesus met him in the street. I'm telling you, this makes the story so much richer, does it not? Jesus met him in the street. And can I tell you what Jesus is still doing today? He's still meeting people in the streets. Amen? He's still meeting people in the streets. And so this is what makes the story is Paul my favorite character? Probably not. David's still my favorite. But I love the story of Paul, of his story of redemption, or like Chuck Swindoll says, he's a man of grace and he's a man of grit. I tell you what, I wouldn't have wanted to cross him. Isn't it something? Think about it like this. One of the people that he was after was Peter. Because you got to think about it. Peter was a disciple of Christ, was he not? And then in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is poured out. Peter is on the most wanted list. You got to know that Paul was hunting him down. But then Paul connects with Peter and the world gets turned upside down. Isn't that awesome? Woo! I'm telling you, only God can make a way. Y'all excited for this series? I hope you are. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about where we, where we first come across him. Um, I mean, Pastor Robert knows this. I don't, I don't even know where to begin or where to end. There's so much that's in my heart to share with you guys. But I hope you see that of what a Pharisee was, um, a thorn in everybody's side, exact is what they are. So let me ask you again, how many of y'all know any Pharisees out there? All right. All right. <laughs> I got some Pharisees on my Facebook page. Come on. All right. All right. Praise the Lord. Lord, we thank you for this time together. Uh, 
for an opportunity uh, uh, to get insight inside of your word. And I, I just pray that tonight that there is faith that's rose up on the inside of each and every one of us. God, we know, God, we know somebody that's so far from you, that's not serving God, that's living their own life, that's entangled in the things and cultures of this world, that's so messed up and thinks they're doing the right thing. But God, I know, oh, Lord, I just pray that you meet them in the streets. That you meet them in the highways and you meet them in the byways. And God, that you would use us as people just as you sent him to Ananias. God, I know that you use people. So God, may we be an Ananias this week. God, the ones that come across our path that we don't know why they're there. But God, we pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear. Of There's a reason that they're in our car. There's a reason they're in our lawn. There's a reason that we're standing next to them in the checkout counter at United. There's a reason. So, God, we choose to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We choose to look through the spiritual lens that you have given us and take advantage of every opportunity, God, that you've given us. God, we know that there's Saul's out there that you're going to change to Paul. And so, Lord, we call them into the land of the living. We pray that AOL would be a place where Saul's are converted to Paul's. I pray that AOL would be a place where Pharisees are converted to people that have a revelation of your grace and your mercy and your truth. I pray that AOL would, would, would be a place where we would see redemptive stories, testimonies of a man that at one time, like Paul, pursued after Peter, but then God joined them together to turn the world upside down. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for how rich it is. We can't ever get enough of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We want to thank all of you who give to our ministries here at AOL Church. It's because of you that all of this is possible. You can give now by clicking the link below. And if you haven't already, subscribe and share this message. It helps us reach more people and share the gospel through you. Be sure to stay connected to us through our Church Center app, our website, arenaoflifechurch.org, and follow us on social media like Facebook and Instagram. May the Lord bless you and keep you. His face shine upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace. Thanks again for listening. Go and make a difference today.